Let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. Before we get into the verse-by-verse exposition of this chapter, I'd like to just say a few words about the, and give them as an introduction, because we find that in this chapter, and in other chapters that are to follow, references, uh, of God's servant Cyrus is spoken of. And in these first few verses of this 41st chapter, though he's unnamed, yet we find in the next few chapters he's directly spoken of. So I want to give you a few things about introduction on this chapter, and about Cyrus especially. Now, uh, in verse 1, we see God convenes his court and asks the nations to present their case against him if they can. At least 17 times in this prophecy, Isaiah writes about the islands. The islands are spoken of here in verse 1, or coastlands, referring to the most distant places from the Holy Land. And in 41 verses 1 through 5, you find he's referring to these places. And in verse 21, he says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. He tells them to present their case before God. Now, God is not afraid of the nations because He's greater than the nations. In chapter 40, verses 12 through 17, we found that He spoke of the nations and His greatness and power over the nations. And He controls their rise and their fall. He announced that He would raise up a ruler named Cyrus who would... Uh, do his righteous work on earth by defeating other nations for the sake of his people Israel. In chapter 44, verse 28, if you care to flip over there in your Bible, chapter 44 and verse 8, 44, verse 28, I beg your pardon. He is spoken of here as a shepherd. It says, Thus saith, that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. And in 45, verse 1, he's spoken of, as the anointed, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And then he is spoken of as a ravenous bird that could not be stopped. And that's in 46, verse 11. It says, Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. And he's still speaking of the same Man, so he's called a shepherd, he's called a, the anointed of God, he's called a ravenous bird that couldn't be stopped. And in our text, in chapter 41, verse 25, he is spoken of as treading on the rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a potter treading the clay. In verse 25, he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. That's in the chapter we're studying. Now, Isaiah called Cyrus by name over a century before he was born. And so we find that uh, this is a prophecy of a man that would come. And while Isaiah nowhere called Cyrus God's servant, yet Cyrus did serve the Lord by fulfilling uh, God's purposes uh, through him upon the earth. And God handed the nations over to Cyrus and helped him to conquer great kings. And you read 45 verses 1 through 4 and you'll find in the context there that he did conquer great kings. The enemy was blown away like chaff and dust before the eternal God because uh, Cyrus was leading the army and God was leading the army through Cyrus. And as Cyrus moved across the territory east and north of the Holy Land in verse uh, 25 you'll find it says, I have raised up one from the north and he shall come from the rising of the sun shall he call uh, upon my name. And he's speaking of from east and north of the Holy Land, the rising of the sun and the north is spoken of. 
And the nations were afraid and turned to their idols for help instead of turning to God. And Isaiah describes the various workmen. We have it in our uh, chapter here. We'll read it in uh, verse 7 when we get down to exposition of this chapter. And they had turned to their, their gods, their idols. And Isaiah describes these various workmen helping each other manufacture a god who couldn't uh, help them. Who cannot help them, and after all, when the God of heaven is in charge of the, in charge, uh, how can uh, men or gods oppose him? There's no one can oppose him. Cyrus may have thought that he was accomplishing his own plans when we find he actually did the things that God told him to do, but he was doing the pleasure of the Lord. It says in 44:28, we read that verse of scripture. 44 verse 28, he was doing the pleasure of the Lord. And by defeating Babylon, Cyrus made it possible for the Jewish captives to be released and allowed to return to their land to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. In Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he's spoken of directly. Let me read in Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And then he uh, calls the people together to follow uh, through with that uh, building of the house of God. So God says, I've raised up him in righteousness, and I will direct his ways, and he'll build my city, and he'll build my, uh, he shall release my captives, let my captives go. Look in Isaiah 45, verse 13. 45, verse 13. I have raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city. He shall let go my captives, not for price nor for reward, saith the Lord of hosts. So it would come to pass that he would actually be the instrument that God would use in this respect. You know, sometimes we forget that God can even use unconverted world leaders for good, for the good of his people. And for the progress of his work. If you remember, he raised up Pharaoh in Egypt that he might demonstrate his power. Romans 9 verse 17 says that I might show in thee my power when he speaks of Pharaoh. And he even raised up wicked Herod and old cowardly Pontius Pilate to accomplish his plan in the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And it says, him have you taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. We have to remember that God is in control even over wicked rulers and leaders. Sometimes we forget that and say, oh, these wicked wicked kings and uh, wicked uh, dictators uh, that they have raised themselves up. God permitted them. He didn't. He removed kings and sets up kings. And the Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. With that much introduction as to what we'll find, let's look at this chapter verse by verse. Now then, verse 1 says, Keep silence before me, O islands, islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. The setting of this chapter appears to be the same as the last when God's people discover that the idols that they have 
make cannot deliver them. And yet they continue to make them. We find in verse 7 they continue to make the idols. Isn't it amazing how that when men know that the idols of this world cannot deliver, yet they keep on manufacturing them? That's an amazing thing to me. It looks like that people would learn their lesson by experience, doesn't it? But they do not. They say, well, we made that one and he didn't deliver us. So let's just make another one. Maybe he will. And they just keep on. Then God would raise up, of course, uh, his servant to deliver them. Notice it says, keep silence before me, O islands. This chapter uses a court setting in which a trial is about to, speech is about to be delivered. And by using... This device, God is going to argue his case, and he's going to ask the nations to listen in reverence and in silence. Silence is the spirit in which all people should approach God. We do not approach God with a boisterous and a loud and a, a noisome and a drumbeat and, a, and all the noise and, of that the world pr- presents. The Bible says in one place, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Let the world keep silence before him. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. And then we find in the book of Genesis 28, when Jacob had his experience, verses 16 and 17, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he represented a very silent attitude when he really saw the Lord and knew the Lord in that place, knew him to be in that place. Notice in verse 2 it says, Who raised up the righteous man from the east? Here Cyrus is referred to, but he is spoken of as a righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave him the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He gave them as a dust to his sword, and as a driven stubble to his bow. Who raised up this man? Who but God could do this? The righteous man, although we said he's not mentioned by name, it's Cyrus, that's the, uh, is generally accepted as God's agent of deliverance, we've already referred to. Righteous has other implications besides righteousness itself. It actually means victory. So he's raised him up not only righteous, but to be victorious. And it's closely related to salvation. This king will be a victor who will bring salvation or deliverance for the Jews. Christ is the righteous one, isn't he? And what did he bring for you and I? He brought deliverance, didn't he? The Bible tells us concerning Christ, that a king shall reign in righteousness. In the 32nd chapter, a king shall reign in righteousness. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the storm, from the wind. as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. That's verse 2. But anyway, we find that Christ is spoken of as the righteous one. In the book of 1 John chapter 2, it says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the what? The righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, has brought us salvation. In the Old Testament, this Cyrus was the one that was victor and brought salvation for the Jews under this situation. Uh, Because uh, Persia is east of Babylon, and he came from the east, and he came for deliverance of the Jews. Verse 3 says, He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone 
uh, with his feet. He had never visited these regions of the Euphrates and westward into Asia Minor until his conquest. Finally, when he did come, he came in conquest. Nor had a previous Assyrian or Babylonian conqueror reached as far west as did the Persians. So it says, he pursued them and passed safely even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. He had not been there before. Verse 4 says, look at this. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord. Who's done this? The first and with the last, I am He. He is the first and the last. Calling the generations from the beginning. You know, the success of Cyrus and all events in history are due due to God and God alone. The origin, listen carefully, the origin and, uh, and position of every nation and of every individual is dependent upon God. Did you know that you are here because God made you to be here? The Bible tells us that He directed where nations should exist, and we know that those nations brought forth the individuals within those nations so that you and I are actually here because God intended us to be right here. Sometimes we question where we were born. Say, well, you know, I'm grateful I was not born in the darkest regions of, of the jungles or the... Uh, places where uh, the gospel has not been heard and where men are so primitive and, and uh, they worship in, by cutting themselves and trying to uh, appease a God that they do not know because to inflict wounds upon themselves. But God knew where every individual was going to be. He knew where you were going to be born, where I was going to be born. Let me give you some scripture. Look in the book of Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 says this, When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Acts 17, verse 26. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. You know what, most of you know what it says. It says, And it made of one blood, of one blood, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. I'm thankful that God in His grace and in His plan brought us to a nation and a people where we have freedom and, and uh, the blessings that we have. And He set the bounds of every nation's habitation. And while all the differences, we cannot uh, question God as far as that is concerned. But he says not only that he's wrought the generations. Look, keep your place in Isaiah 41 verse 4. He wrought uh, and who, who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning. And then he says, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. He is the first and the last. He, the eternity of God, as his name affirms, is underscored here. It is very likely that this verse is behind Revelation 22, verse 13, where he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says it in the first chapter as well of Revelation. Look at verse 5. The isles saw it and feared the isles. Nations afar, islands or coastlands, wait in fear. They feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. Draw near and came. They wait in fear that they will be attacked next. They drew near and came. They banded together for mutual defense. They helped everyone his neighbor and everyone uh, to his brother. Be of good courage, verse 6. Look at verse 7 now. 
They make new idols. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote uh, the anvil, saying, It is ready for the sorting, and he fastened it with nails that it should not be moved. You know, the, the idols of men have to be nailed down because they might fall over. To fasten it with nails that it might not be moved. Remember the old Dagon, he fell over on his face, broke all to pieces. Men have to make idols that they have to secure some way. God doesn't need any sure foundation. He is the rock. He is the rock of ages. He is the sure foundation. But men make new idols in order to protect them from Cyrus as he comes in. They believe that in addition to the deities, and that additional deities might be stronger than those represented by the Persians. Verse 8, look at this. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Notice all the titles, he says. But thou, Israel, art my servant. He doesn't say Israel, whom I have chosen. He says Jacob, whom I have chosen. That song that Randy led the last one, Jesus loves even me. Can you imagine God loving even Jacob before he was named Israel? Jacob was a scoundrel. He was a supplanter. His name means supplanter. Uh, I mean, he was altogether uh, not very uh, good ethically. His ethics were very bad. He, he didn't treat people exactly right. But God chose him in sovereign grace. And notice he says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. So he chose him before he named him Israel. Remember later, Jacob was named Israel, but he chose him. Uh, Jacob is his natural name. Israel is his spiritual name. He chose us. He, he called us like we were. Then he sings a song, Just as I am for the invitation. It's not after we're made real good that he will accept us. He takes us like we are, and then he makes us better. He does something for us. Isn't that amazing? But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. The seed of Abraham, he says, my friend. So it's servant, chosen, and friend. He's the seed of Abraham, my friend. This verse describes Israel, whose deliverance will come from Cyrus. And he's in contrast to the idolatrous nations who would be destroyed by Cyrus. He was chosen, he was God's elect, and it's evidenced by the covenant that he made between that was made between God and Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. And you know, the chosen are meant to have a role in God's redemptive purposes for humanity. And therefore, these chosen finally ended up to where that Christ was born, of the seed of Abraham and of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So that covenant that God made with Abraham could not be broken because God had promised Abraham a seed, not just Isaac. He said, In thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He said, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Speaking of Abraham. Okay? In Isaac shall thy seed be called. But then when you read in the book of Galatians, let me give you something. Galatians, I gave you three verses. How many remember those three verses? Does anyone remember three verses I gave you? Genesis 3.15. Now what was the next one? John 3.16 and Galatians 3.16. Okay, look at Galatians. I gave you those a while back, and you should mark them. Because in Genesis 3.15, the promised seed, right at the very beginning, the seed of the, the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And then in Galatians 3.16, notice this. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. 
You see what God is saying here? He's saying a whole lot. He's saying, first of all, that's Galatians 3.16. He didn't say seed. Now, to Abraham and his seed, singular. Notice the word. S-E-E-D. Singular. Were the promises made. And he saith not. He did not say, and to seeds, S-E-E-D-S, plural, as of many. But he used the singular term. But as of one. To Abraham and his seed, S-E-E-D, singular, were the promises made. And to thy seed he applies it, which is Christ. So it was evident that when God promised Abraham that through Isaac shall thy seed be called, that he was pointing further down the line to that one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis 3.15, the Son of God that is spoken of in John 3.16. So remember, Genesis 3.15, write these down. John 3.16 and Galatians 3.16, all pointing to Christ. By the way, there's another lesson here, and I don't want to, well, I won't have time to finish if I do, but I want to tell you this. While you have Galatians 3.16, you talk about the inspiration of the Word of God. Look at this. He even makes a distinction between singular and plural. God makes a distinction here. He says, my word is so direct that I make a distinction here between seed and seeds. The Word of God is divinely inspired. No wonder Jesus said, one jot or one tittle, one uh, dotting of the I and one crossing of the T, if you want to put it that way. Not especially so, because he was referring to Hebrew writing, which has a lot of dots and marks. But we would use it that way to refer to the English language and say dotting of the I and crossing of the T. So minute and so precise. And seeds and seed. He makes a difference. The difference. The Bible says every word of God is pure, and He is a shield to uh, those that put their trust in Him. And it says, "Add not to His word, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar." And we have people making all kinds of versions of the Bible today, and perversions as well. But stick to the Word of God. And you know, if this, you know, Harry S. Truman said concerning the King James Version, he says, I don't see why that when men get a good thing, they want to go and change it and mess it up. And he was talking to the King James Version of the Bible. He says, This is good. And I believe we ought to stick to it. Let's get back to this now. In Isaiah chapter 41. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Notice those terms. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Look at this. He says he was taken from the ends of the earth. Possibly referring to Abraham and his departure from Ur of the Chaldees. Others interpret it to mean Israel's departure from Egypt. But we know his people, regardless, were chosen. Deuteronomy 4, verse 37. Look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 37. It says this, And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them. Deuteronomy 4 verse 37 is a very important verse. It says, And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them, and brought thee out, out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. So he loved the fathers and he chose them even before they were in Egypt, and he brought them out of Egypt. So it can refer at least to both. Hosea 11, verse 1, speaks of Israel as a child, my firstborn. He says, I've called my son out of Egypt. And it refers back to the book of Exodus, 
I believe it's in chapter 4. I'm not sure in the book of Exodus. Well, let's be sure. I'll look, look it up. Exodus. See what chapter it is. I like to look just for my own benefit if no one else's. Exodus chapter 4, verse 23. Well, look at verse 22 and 23. It says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. God says, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And if it came to pass that that's what really have happened and had to be done. So back in our text now, Isaiah 41, verse 9. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. He says, I have chosen you, and I have kept you. I have not cast thee away. God would have, would have had every reason to cast them away, wouldn't he? From, from Abraham's day, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's day, right on down to when they went into Egypt. And during the days of Moses, he had people that were murmuring and rebelling. And remember, when they came out, they proved their own character by wanting Aaron to make them a golden calf. says, these be thy gods that brought thee out of Egypt. And they begin to worship idols. So, God would have had every reason to cast them away, wouldn't He? But He didn't. He didn't cast them away. As a nation and as a people, He delivered them. Those that were in unbelief, they suffered death in the wilderness because they could not enter in because of unbelief. And that proves that uh, those of God's children have to suffer the consequences of their backsliding and their their worldliness and their idolatry. And only two of that generation entered into the land, Joshua and Caleb, because they wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, followed the Lord. And so we find that uh, God did choose them. He brought them from the ends of the earth. He called them and He had chosen them. And He says, And not cast thee away. In verse 10 it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What does he say? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Think of that. Fear thou not. He's saying to his people, Be not dismayed. Be not dismayed. Brother Bailey was speaking of that party that we have every once in a while. That's being dismayed, isn't it? When we start feeling sorry for ourselves. But, you know... All of us get that little disease once in a while, don't we? All of us have a tendency to say, poor me. Well, you know, you're not any worse off than the next guy. We all have to overcome the trials and temptations and face the problems of life. So, let's learn to take courage. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. If we're weak, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee if we need help. Yea, I will uphold thee. Why? How? With a right hand, that's his power, hand of power, of my righteousness. Fear thou not. Sometimes we do fear. By the way, in verse 13 and 14, he said it again. Look at verse 13 14, then we'll come back. It says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Verse 14, Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord. 
and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So you have it again a couple more times there in verse 13, 14. And when God tells us not to fear, you know, sometimes we fear temporal things. We fear poverty. We say, what are we going to do when everything, when the bottom falls out of things? What are we going to do when everything caves in? What are we going to do when there's nothing, uh, no money? The Bible says, underneath are what? The everlasting arms. How far can you fall? You can just go so far, and the Lord's there ready to catch you. He said, underneath are the everlasting arms. You know, a man's character can be known better by when he has nothing whatsoever of this world's goods. You can tell what kind of a person he is. Paul says, I have learned whatsoever state I'm in, what therewith to be content. He says, I've learned to be, to have plenty and abound, and I've learned to be without. So when we learn that lesson in life, because it's not what we have, it's what God is to us that really matters. And what God will do for us in the process. Because He has a way of working out everything for His glory and for our good. And let Him work His way in everything we are. We fear poverty. We fear sickness. We fear old age. Well, you know, old age is not so bad. You know, I really like. I'm getting older. And so are you, by the way. If you're young, you're getting older too. But see, old age is not so bad. You know why? It's better than the alternative. Isn't it? You're still here. And you still have life. So it's, a, it's far better than what you would have. Now, you say, well, of course I'd die and go to go to heaven. Well, that's true, but I'm not anxious to get there. I want to stay here a while yet. Paul says, I, I know I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He says, I know it's better, but he says, nevertheless, it's more needful that I remain with you, stay with you. He had a ministry to perform. And that's the way I feel about it. Old Dr. Lakin used to say, he says, if I knew where I was going to die, I would never go there. <laughs> would you? I wouldn't want to go there. Just stay where I am. Don't take that trip until it's necessary. And when it's necessary. So we fear old age. We fear loneliness. You know, there's a lot of people that are lonely. And you go up in the care center. And by the way, you ought to visit up there once in a while and try to encourage some of those folks. And they, we fear weakness. We fear unanswered prayer. Well, prayers go up and it's just like uh, we're in a desert and no one's there to hear. But God is here. He's there to hear every time. Some have said that the heavens seem to be like brass. And then we have uh, troubles. We have trials and storms of life. We have to deal with the world and the flesh and the devil. And by the way, sometimes we fear what is really not there. We kind of invent troubles. We have a little factory that makes them. We just imagine that tomorrow has got to be real bad because today was so good. And we just say, there's got to be something bad happening tomorrow. Well, you must, you know, today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday, isn't it? And how is it? Pretty good. Thank the Lord we're all here, right? And then uh, future things. All the perils of the future. There's a lot in the future that we fear. The fear of death. The fear that you will not make heaven your home. You know, a lot of people go through this life, and I've tried to encourage those that do not believe in security of the believer. 
you can go through this life enjoying the fact that, that you know you're going to heaven or you can go through this life wondering if you'll ever make it and worrying about it every step of the way and every day of your life. Well, now listen, the only way you're going to make it and the only reason you're going to make it is because Jesus has paid for your salvation and you've trusted Him as Lord and Savior. Just simple as that. And those He's saved, He's going to keep. The Bible says he's, that you're kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed the last day. The last time. And so, if you trust the Lord as your Savior, by the way, He says, My sheep hear my voice, and, and I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Now, if there's ever a time, if we're called His sheep, if there's ever a time that we would perish, then those words of Jesus are not true. And I believe they're true. He says, They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And He says, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And he says, I and my Father are one. I believe that's security, don't you? Well, beloved, I'd rather trust in God's Word. Uh, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. Israel's enemies in actual, uh, actuality are, are opposing God. Saul was opposing Christians and he was opposing the Lord, wasn't he? Remember Saul of Tarsus? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou who? Me. Jesus took it as a personal offense to himself when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting those that were in the way, the Christian way, all that were in that way, and it was known as the Christian way. Jesus said, I'll take that very personally. And he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks, the sharp sticks that they used to punch the heels of the, the oxen so they would go and, instead of bog and plow, the goads. And so we find that uh, God is with his people. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee, shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they shall strive with thee. They that strive with thee shall perish. There's a key verse that you need in Isaiah. 54 verse 17. You've heard me speak of it time and time again. And you ought to write it down, highlight it, mark around it, put a circle around it, underline it, or, or whatever you want to do. But it says, No weapon, listen carefully, that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. It says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Amen. Isaiah 54, verse 17. Thou shalt seek them, verse 12 in our lesson, and shall not find them, even them that contend with thee. They, shall, they that war against thee shall be as nothing, and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. God's going to take care of his own, isn't he? Fear not, thou worm Jacob. A worm has little defense ability against other creatures. We don't have any defense. Fear thou not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee. If a worm didn't have some help, he'd be in terrible trouble, wouldn't he? And a worm has little defensive ability against other creatures. Israel was similar in similar straits. But because God was going to act on her behalf, God could say to, to Jacob, Fear not. Then he says, Thy Redeemer, look here, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. 
He's not only uh, their Redeemer, but He's our Redeemer, and He will help us, and He will take care of us in every situation that we come into. Tells in verse 15 what he will do. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains. Mountains are spoken of symbolically as nations, the others that oppose God's people. And God will make Israel a threshing slaves to level and to crush all the obstacles that were in the, uh, the path of God's purposes for the return of the exiles. The result will be that Israel will rejoice in the Holy One. Look in verse 16. We'll read on down. 15, 16. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shall make the hills as chaff. The mountains the mighty nations and the hills the smaller nations. Thou shalt fan them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shall glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, I the Lord will hear them I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in the high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. God had done this for Israel of old. Remember in Exodus chapter 17 where they murmured and they did not have water? And God, what did He do? He said, Moses, you stand upon this rock and you take your rod and you smite the rock. You smite the rock. And the water will come forth. And Moses did as God spoke to him, had spoken to him, and he, he smote the rock and the water gushed out. Free and abundant and accessible. That's like the water of life to you and I. And then later on in the book of Numbers chapter 20, what happened? They came to place again. Thirsty again. No water to drink. They murmured against God and against Moses. They were always complaining. You say, well, I'd complain too if I didn't have any water. Well, but they, they had a habit of doing this under every little situation that came along. You know, I can understand people complaining about great things, and this was a strait that they were in, but they complained all the time, and they murmured against God and against Moses. But anyway, at this time, God told Moses, He says, Moses, you go before the rock at Horeb, and you speak to the rock, and it, the water will come forth. Now, what's the difference? And Moses, the people made Moses angry, and he smote the rock. And not only once, but twice. And what happened? God was gracious and he let the waters come forth. But he said to Moses, he says, Moses, because you were angry, you're not going to enter the promised land. You see, we can't lose our temper. We've got to keep our, we have to keep our uh, temper, our spirit under control. The Bible says a man that keeps his spirit under control is mightier than he that taketh a city. He that can rule his own spirit. We have to learn to rule our own spirit. Oh, you, a lot of people, by not doing it, make a big impression upon folks, don't they? When they fly off the handle and they become boisterous and they say, I told them off. Well, that may make an impression upon some, but it makes a far greater impression upon people when you have your spirit under control. It'll make the greatest impression. You say, well, they didn't uh, show their uh, macho... Uh, spirit and attitude, but that's not of God. You don't have to show that. Moses was meek and he took the rod and he, he did what he was supposed to from time to time, but then when he lost his temper and got out of control, well anyway, he smote the rock twice. And what happened? The waters gushed forth and then what happened? God said you can't even enter the promised land. What is the picture there? Christ was smitten on the cross. He was crucified. 
the first time. He was crucified. That the that the waters of salvation, the water of life might flow freely. And through Christ's death on the cross, we have salvation freely given. The waters gush forth. And everyone that wants to can drink. He says, come and drink of the water of life. Take the water of life freely. In fact, that's the last call in the book of Revelation. 